0: I mean Neil I love talking to you because after 5000 pen tests you still make the point that what people should do and what they actually do are vastly different vastly and Neil I have to ask you this question just to you know set the stage you told me off camera previously
1: you've done how many pen tests uh, approximately I've I've probably done I've probably done over over Thousands, five thousand or so pen tests. I mean, it when you when you five thousand, yeah, yeah. When you look across, the, when you look across my time in the military, when you look across the several Fortune one hundred companies that I've worked for, when you looked across the the big four consultancies that I've worked with. And Emil, Neil, we can't say this
0: on camera because I mean, there's confidentiality mm-hmm. stuff. But you were telling me off camera you did some really scary stuff in the in the NSA. So. Basically what we're gonna try and do in this video once again is take all that knowledge of 5,000 plus pen tests and NSA slash military experience and try and help someone. And let's assume like I'm that person, I'm just starting out. So you take us down the path like you've done so well in so many videos and tell me which gear would you recommend I get and how would I approach a practical pen test? Hey everyone, it's David Bombal back with Neil Bridges. Really excited about this video. Neil is bringing all of his experience to teach you how to do proper pen tests. So not theoretical stuff, proper pen tests. And there's some surprises here because Neil, when we were talking off camera, you were saying you don't bring a huge backpack of equipment, do you, to a pen test?
1: No, no, that's that's exactly right. I, I, I kind of have a different feel, different take when it comes to uh, doing you know, physical on-site penetration testing. Um, you know, internal penetration testing. Um, it's, you know, I, I, and again, remember for for folks who, who are new to the channel or or new to to talking to me, I've, I've spent you know a decade in the military. Um, you know, doing offensive offensive cyber operations. You know, for for the National Security Agency. You know, and and other agencies and things like that. And and in addition, I've I've spent time in the area of operations doing real world combat. And so I've learned a lot in terms of how to prepare for missions. And so when I got out of the Air Force um, and, and started building red teams uh, on the outside um, and, and started doing penetration, penetration tests for, for numerous companies, um, I never built... Like I've seen some of these, I've seen some of these videos and some of these pictures of people who have got like rucksacks with like fifty pounds worth of gear that they take on them with these uh, internal on-site pen tests, and and literally most of the stuff that I've got fits into little bags like this that I can fit into my backpack, um, you know, when I when I go do a penetration test. And so I kind of wanted to walk through that methodology that I had. So that you understood kind of what the thought process was as I go about preparing for an on-site penetration test, and then kind of show off some of the gear um, that I keep in that tiny little bag that has been nothing but incredibly effective for me um, in in 99% of the pen tests I've ever done.
0: I think that's really important because, firstly, if you're starting out, you don't have like thousands of dollars just to go and buy random stuff. You want to use your money as efficiently as possible. So. It's brilliant that you're just going to show us the stuff, like you said, that's really, really important. And Neil, I have to ask you this question just to, you know, set the stage. You told me off camera previously. You've done how many pen tests,
1: uh, approximately? I've I've probably done I've probably done over over 5,000 or so pen tests. I mean, it when you when you five thousand, yeah, yeah. When you look across the, when you look across my time in the military. When you look across the several Fortune 100 companies that I've worked for, when you looked across the the big four consultancies that I've worked with, the MSP that I helped build, um, you know, out of the Midwest, the U.S., um, and even to, to date with um, you know with my my current um, you know you know work that I do on the side, um, yeah, I mean it's 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 probably in you know up into that area. I mean it's it's something that I was doing every week, multiple times a week. Um, for for well over seven uh, seven plus years, so um, yeah, it's it's easily between that or any real world operation. Um, you know, it's it's pretty significant.
0: And Emil Neil, we can't say this on camera because I mean, there's confidentiality mm-hmm. stuff. But you were telling me off camera, you did some really scary stuff in the in the NSA. <laughs> so basically, what we're going to try and do in this video once again is take all that knowledge of five thousand mm-hmm. plus pen tests and NSA slash military experience and try and help someone. And let's assume like I'm that person, I'm just yep. starting out. Yep. So you take us down the path, like you've done so well in so many videos and tell me which gear would you recommend I get and how would I approach a practical pen test?
1: Absolutely. Take it away, Neil. Absolutely, yeah, that's right, that's right. This is David, David, here's Neil. Neil, go, awesome. <laughs> that's that's what I like, yeah. That's, that's why I talk to you, go for it. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you the dumb questions because that's, that's right. my role. That's right, that's right, I love it. Um, so, so preparation is key. Preparation is key. I can't say that enough. Um, um, when, whether you're, whether you're doing an internal pen test, whether you're doing an external pen test, whether you're doing a web app pen test, social engineering, it doesn't really matter. Preparation is key. And so I am a huge, huge fan of, um, doing my prep work. Now that prep work comes in a lot of different, uh, forms, um, Specifically, in this case, when we talk about what do you bring into your bag when you go for an onsite pen test, um, you know the this is where this concept of OSINT or open source intelligence gathering comes into play. Now, David, you and I could do an entire lesson on OSINT um, and go. Yeah, we need to. We need yeah, to. that's yeah. a huge rabbit hole that we can get down into. Um, but you know, when I go to OSINT a company um, to do a pen test. Um, I read all sorts of stuff. Like I, I, I pretend like I'm going to be an employee of that company. If they're a public company in the U.S., I read what's known as their 10K, which has all their financial statements. Um, understanding how many employees they've got, I will look at all of their company locations around the globe, see what all their buildings are, and I want to share my screen really quick. Um, um, you know, I want to share a, a screenshot from an actual pen test report. That's obviously going to be um, you know, kind of blurred out um, for, for the sake of this video, but um, um, I, I kind of want to show some of the OSINT that I do and that I actually end up putting inside of a pen test report. And so when I talk about mapping the physical location, you know, of a, um, a, a, of a facility um, prior to going to it, I'll actually use something as simple as Google Maps. And I will you know, just take a look at the facility that, that exists. I'll take a look at all the roads that come in and go out. Um, in this particular case, in this particular building that we were mapping for this particular pen test, um, you know, I was able to quickly identify that this was the guard shack. I was able to quickly identify that this was probably some type of smoke pit or some type of, um, um, of, of gathering place out there. Um, you know, this is the building, you can kind of see parking is all the way around, which meant that there were multiple doors of, of entrance, you can kind of see the loading zone over here based on the location of, um, you know, some of the, the, the trash cans and things like this. And so getting a feel for this building, understanding what this building layout is, really does kind of give you an, give you an idea as to, okay, how many people are at this facility? Um, where are some of the points of intri- entry? This helps you kind of with what we refer to as pretexting, right? Now, sometimes people get confused and they think pretexting, in the sense of um, doing like a, a an email social engineering or a phone social engineering, where you're like, "Oh, am I a credit collector? Am I offering you free, um, you know, Amazon gift cards? Like whatever the case is." Pretexting when it comes to some of this stuff, when it comes to doing physical onsite pen testing, is also being able to understand just the area of operations that you're going to be operating in so that you know who you might encounter, the types of personalities you might encounter, where you, where your entry points could potentially be, where your exit points could potentially be. Um, yes, you do need to understand where you might need to get out in a hurry just in case something were to happen. Um, and just kind of mentally preparing for that. Um, in other pen tests that I've done, um, Um, I did a a pen test for an organization in in downtown Boston one time where I strategically picked a hotel that I was going to stay in um, based on where it was in relationship to my target. And when I got to the hotel, I already knew that they had windows facing the side of my target. And I knew that I was going to be doing some form of wireless pen test on that target. And so what I ended up doing was I ended up social engineering the hotel when I got there to get a room that had a window that faced my target. And I did that kind of as part of my pretext, as part of my pre-planning for my engagement, because I knew that I would need that window access for any of the wireless type of activity that I would do. And so that that planning piece is incredibly important. And I think that I think that that's something we don't talk enough about in the pen testing space, is the amount of planning that you need to do into doing an operation or to do a pen test. And so when you do that type of planning, David, that's how you get to understanding that you don't need a rucksack full of gear to do an on-site pen test. You probably only need, a handful of things if you've done your planning appropriately. I actually view that if you took a rucksack full of gear, you haven't done your planning. You're planning for everything when you haven't done proper planning in the first place.
0: Would you however like leave a bunch of extra stuff in the back of your car or something
1: like that if you could. Um depending on how far you had to travel for the engagement and this gets to the logistics of how you're conducting a pen test engagement, right? If you're um if you're getting on a plane and going somewhere um, and, and weight is an issue right during your travels, then you you know, can get, kind of take into Neil's kind of top three. Right. Good, better, best. Right. Good yeah. is if you got, if weight's a concern, travel restrictions are a concern. Um, you know, you're already loaded up with laptops and, you know, everything else that you need. You know, you take the minimum with you on the plane and then obviously you scale up from there. And then, yes, you can leave it in the hotel or you can leave it in the, um, um, you know, in the car um, if you need to. If you're driving to a pen test location, then obviously it makes it a lot easier because then you can throw a whole bunch of stuff in the back of your car. I've never um, I've never personally run into that. Um, I've never personally run into a scenario where I got to a site. Um, and I didn't need anything more than an ethernet cable, like, right. Like an ethernet cable goes bad and I got to go get an ethernet cable, or I run out of USB dongles, right. And I need to go get a a USB dongle. That's like the worst case scenario that I've ever encountered, but I've never gotten anywhere and said, gosh, I wish I had another, uh, uh, hack five pineapple. I wish I'd brought my, my 50 other that I had at the house. Right. I knew exactly how many I needed to bring. Um, so that's
0: really interesting after like 5,000 plus pen tests because you did the preparation, you had the right tools for the job, yeah? Yeah,
1: yeah. and 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 that's, that's something I'm a huge fan of is bring the right tools for the right job, right? Know what you're getting into.
0: So, I mean, Neil, I mean, I don't know if you wanted to talk more about that, but I'm really keen to see, okay, so what are these yep. tools? Can you give us some examples of like the top, and I, I, I'm going to spring a surprise Uh-oh. on you. At,
1: at some point during this, show, I need to know your top three <laughs> tools, but because uh, we do everything in three. We do. So. We do everything <laughs> in three. So I've got. I, I wish I had one of those top view cameras because I'd lay out everything that I had here on my desk. Uh, Don't worry. I'll add. I'll add some. Viewers. All right. Good. All right. Good. Because I've I've got quite a lot here now. Now everything that I do have here does fit into this bag. I didn't take everything out of this bag, and I'll kind of uh, show some of the. You know, the only thing that I've got left in this bag. Um, is it are really things like extra cables um you know extra extra usb dongles and and things like that that's really all that's left in the bag so that people don't be like oh well what else does he have in the bag it's things like um it's things like a like a ether you know extra ethernet cable right on a ribbon that you could like pull the it's a hack five five one that's that's super helpful super useful to to do that um so there's, there's, that's all that's left in the bag for the most part. It looks like, you know, Hack 5 seemed to be, and,
0: and just before we continue, Hack 5 is not sponsoring this no, video. No, so, no, Hack 5 is but, not. <laughs> but we'll have to get some sponsors, but we don't. Hack 5 isn't sponsoring this video. It looks like the Hack 5 stuff is like a necessity almost because you're using a Hack 5 bag. You've already like got one cable that's Hack 5.
1: Um, are, the, are your top tools like Hack Five um, stuff, or it, you show us- I'll show you some stuff that's not Hack Five. There is quite a lot. Here's the thing: Hack Five has come a long way over the years. And again, to your point, right? Hack Five is not sponsoring this video. Um, I'm not hawking anything Hack Five related, but I have watched them grow over the years, and I think that they have put together a lot of really good, um, you know, really good tools. And so there will be a lot of Hack Five stuff here. And here's and here's why here's why. And you've done, you've done a video on, on, um, the rubber ducky, right? I think the rubber ducky is, is unequivocally a perfect example where hack five took something that we all love to do. Um, and, um, and, and put it into something that you can buy with a swipe of a credit card and have it delivered to your door in a few weeks, give or take, you know, supply issues and whatnot. Um, and, and that's, that's genius. That's genius. They're not they're obviously not the only one. And they, there's other vendors out there that have, um, have have done some really good stuff and put together some really good hardware. But I definitely give credit to Hack5 for um, for for commercializing, you know, commoditizing um, some of this physical hardware. And so, yeah, I mean, as a as a, a pen tester, as an advocate, 10 of 10, get my support for for making something that I, I as a as a corporate pen tester. When I think about the need to go swipe a credit card and buy gear that I can spread out across a pen testing team or that I can have in go bags or that I can, you know, you know, quickly use to do multiple pen tests in an organization. Absolutely. I know, um, I know the um the pen testing director for a very, very large consulting company. Um, and when they were expanding um their pen testing team, um, they didn't buy all Hack Five stuff. Um, it was uh, some of the other stuff that I've got here. You know, I'll be able to demonstrate and kind of show you some of that stuff as well. But yes, a large portion of their purchase was going to Hack Five and buying ten pineapples, ten rubber duckies, ten land turtles, right, and things like that that they would put into bags that they would then give to their pen testers before they headed out into the field.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll make this point because I've seen Darren from Hack Five say something along these lines. Sure, you can create your own products. So you could create something like the rubber ducky, you can create your own versions of these. And if you wanna do that, that's brilliant. But for a lot of people, especially when you're starting, you know, that, the, the, the level of knowledge required to create something that's useful and small in the, to use in the field is, is hard. It's much easier if you can afford it, just like you said, for like a company, just to buy it. It's pre-made, the tooling is, has been all done, it's a small package, and you know it's gonna Look- work. So it's, it's much. Let me easier let me let me,
1: let me piggyback onto that with a with a just a different perspective, a different flip of the coin, right? Yeah, yeah. Your time is worth something, David. Your time is money. Sure. And let's talk about the first tool where that where I can really really articulate that, right? So so the first tool right out of my bag that I carry with me everywhere is a Proxmark. Now this is one of the newer generation Proxmarks. Um, this one's uh, I that was probably not going to show very well, right? Um, but you've got these these uh, extra cards here for it. Um, got, got a Proxmark um, uh, RFID reader. And so, um, you know, if you've ever seen I'm, I'm sure most of you have seen and, and David, I'm gonna ask you to censor these out just to make sure I don't disclose anything here. Right. But we've got some we've got various types of cards that we've collected over the years. When you look at the back of these cards and, and I'll, I'll trust you to find some B-roll or something like that. Down at the bottom of this card, you'll have uh, uh, HID, which is one of the major brands of, of RFID card um, producers that are out there. Proxmark is something that, that I have in my bag all the time, 100% of the time, for various types of RFID badge reading and cloning. Well, so I got, in my early days of pen testing, I got this fancy idea that I was going to take on the Bishop Fox um, challenge of building a backpack with the massive RFID reader in it, where you take like an RFID reader from a a parking garage, you take a huge battery pack, um, you put it in the back of a backpack and then you attach Proxmark to it and you sit outside of a building and scan badges all day long. A, that was not an easy thing to build. And I don't mean that in like a, like, oh, hey, I like a challenge. Um, There's only one set of directions. Imagine building a Lego, David, where there's only one set of directions of how one person built it and nobody else has ever built it before in your life. And so if you don't build it exactly the way that they built it and you have the first problem with it, you're literally troubleshooting it your first time, right? So that's kind of problem number one. Um, You get this thing out there and I had done this on a pen test in Midtown, New York. Right, And I was like, oh, I'm going to go. This is going to be fantastic. This is going to be where I'm going to do this pen test. Um, I'm going to do this in in Midtown, New York. And I knew that I was attacking a hedge fund company that was in like the 80th floor of one of the the big buildings in New York. So I stood outside that building with my backpack with my RFID reader in it. And I was just scanning cards left and right. Right. When I got back to the hotel to look at it, you know what I didn't realize because of poor planning. (laughs) What? I couldn't tell which RFID was to the floor that I needed access to. Because <laughs> yeah, I
0: think you mentioned this previously when we spoke about it. You just had numbers. You just right? have numbers. You just have numbers.
1: You don't. Know, you know, It's not like you. It's not like when you swipe this card or actually, actually when you swipe this card at a badge reader, right? It's not like it says, "Oh, this is this is person ABC." A, they get access to building one, two, three. Um, you know, and boy, they got security clearance level four thousand, right, to do it. Right, that's just that's not how. Um, sorry, I dropped dropped a piece of equipment. Um, that's that's a uh, that's just not how those numbers come across. When you swipe that badge, it's literally like a sixteen thirty two, you know, fifty four string of numbers, and that numerical number then ties into the badge reader system that then determines whether that numerical number has access or doesn't have access. It's a very binary type of thing to that badge reader system, so you get back to process. Literal tens of thousands of of cards that you've scanned as you've walked from the hotel to the 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 uh, the building and then stood in front of the building and then walked back. You've realized that you've got more data than you know what to do with, and it's completely and totally useless. And How so, long did it take you to build that thing? Uh, it, it took me. It took me about three months to build it to get it wow. right to build it. Yeah, but but this gets back to my original point, right? Your time is worth something. Yeah, your time is worth something. And so, when you're conducting a pen test do you have time to build three months worth of a piece of equipment that seems really, really cool on the internet? That seems like a fun, cool project that people built on the internet that legitimately has no practical use whatsoever. And so that's the part that I encourage people to do is like, yeah, it may seem fun to build your own rubber ducky or to build your own backpack, you know, facing RFID cloner or build your own anything else. But is that necessarily how you need to spend your time is that the best use of your time? Um, and is there something else that you could better be doing to hone your trade craft? And that's something you'll hear me talk about as we do more of these videos. David is honing your trade craft. Building an RFID reader in your backpack doesn't do jack for your trade craft. Yeah, doesn't do jack for your trade craft.
0: So, getting back to that device, the Proxmark uh, device. Can you just, for people who don't know, because let's assume I know nothing, what does it actually do? Just give a- us like a thirty second.
1: Absolutely. So, um, so you would take this Proxmark. So you take this little device like this right here. Um, you would hook it up to, uh, you know, a laptop. You'd pre-program this one. Uh, you could hook this one up to a battery source so that it would run. Um, you know, kind of in the palm of your hand. Um, and there's a couple different ways you do it. And this is where, um, this is where you you have to get into this idea that this doesn't get you access to the building, right? This doesn't get you this alone, right? Because you can't just simply sit up there and be like, "Hey, let me scan your card." Hey, let me scan your card. You know that doesn't work like that. You've got to have back to our planning. You've got to have what your pretext is. And so, if I go back to the example that I used before um, with that one building, um, knowing where the smoke pit was, right? Um, I took uh, I took my backpack, had my laptop in there. I had a USB cable that uh, was coming out of my backpack into a reader like this that I had in my hand, um, and then on. Um, you'd have the Proxmark software running on it. I stood at the smoke pit and, um, and, and it's, it's, it's really simple, David. It's really simple. I have, I have badges around my neck. So obviously I belong to the company because I've got badges around my neck just like everybody else at the company does. So I look just like everybody else there. And so as part of, um, as part of having badges around my neck and as part of my pretext, I said, hey, I'm working with security. We're testing the, uh, uh, the door locks here on this building. I need to check your badge and make sure that you have the right access levels. And so the, most employees are like, oh, absolutely, whatever security needs. And so I'll take this in my hand. I'll do like this. I'll nod my head up and down and be like, okay, looks like your badge is good. You should be able to walk, walk into the building now. They'd swipe and get into the building and they'd walk right in. And I've just collected a known good badge by standing outside of the smoke pit.
0: So you and didn't, it, you weren't at the door; you were just in the smoke pit. Is that just right? Just
1: in the smoke pit. So if I go back to that picture, just inside of that little covered building, just inside of that smoke pit, because the smoke pit typically isn't behind any type of fencing. This is where people are out there chilling anyway. They genuinely want to be left alone. Remember, social engineering is about the psychology with people, and so you know they're not on their guard. They're used to communicating and just BSing and talking with folks that are in the smoke pit anyway. And so their guard is down, and so it's really easy to walk up to them with any almost any pretext that you've got, and be like, "Hey, um, you know, I, I need to I need to swipe your badge because um, we're having some problems with the door uh, the door lock mechanism, and I'll make sure you're not going to have any problems getting back in when you're at the end of your smoke break." Think about it this way: if you're at a place that does manufacturing, um, and um, you've got factory line workers who are taking their smoke break, right? Those, those folks are often on very, very tight time schedules. Their, their managers watch them very, very closely to be like, oh, you go take a 10-minute smoke break, but then you got to come right back in, right? And so they don't want to be yeah. bothered with having to not be able to get back in the building. And so thinking like that goes, okay, my pretext is going to be, hey, I don't want you to get locked out of the building. I need to double check your badge because we're having issues with the badge reader system. Um, can I check it real quick and make sure everything's okay? Yeah, absolutely. Boom. Now you've just, you've specifically targeted somebody and you specifically recorded your badge. Now what happens is um, on your laptop, man, dropping all sorts of crap these days. This is, I got a desk full of stuff here. So now on your laptop, you've taken the unique number of this badge and you've recorded it on your laptop. Um, you can now go back to your car, car and you can take one of your cloner cards, which... These guys usually give you some type of cloner card. You can get these pretty cheap on on eBay, and then you can do a uh, basically a um, uh, a process whereby you take that number that you just recorded here, use the Proxmark software, write that number to this type of card, and now you have your own card that you can use to swipe to get into the building anytime you want. So that's how that would be how I would do it. Is I would go out there and social engineer a bunch of people, get their cards. And then I would take their card, clone it, and use that to get into the front door. And so now you think about this from a pen testing perspective, we want to be able to tell the story on the report that we cloned a badge and then we walked right in the front door with a badge of our own, walked right past security at the front door and got into your building through cloning a badge.
0: Yeah, I mean, Neil, we, we'll have to do a whole section on this, but like I think you've mentioned it before, social engineering skills. Or would you say social engineering skills are as important or more important than having a bunch of tech.
1: Oh, more important, more important. I, uh, oh, I <laughs> We 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 forgot to do this analogy in the opener when we talked about this, but that's a fantastic uh, uh, lead-in. There's a there's a great movie out there. Um uh, you know it, it's it's Spy Game with um with Robert Redford and Brad Pitt, right? And uh, there's a section of the clip of the movie um you know Brad Pitt is this uh this aspiring CIA agent he's thinking he's going to be all James Bondy 007ish you know he's going to have gadgets and twisty watches and all this other stuff when he when he comes out of this thing Robert Redford being the seasoned you know expert at the CIA so um um you know Robert Redford says at one point in time to his uh to his trainee he goes to technology changes all the time um and that's fine um, oftentimes all you need is, uh, is, is a, a, a stick of, or a pack of chewing gum um, and a smile to get into most places, right? And, and that's, that truly is what I think the core of pen testing is. It's like all this tech is fantastic, but at some point in time, you're going to need some social engineering skills to use most of this tech on an on-site pen test. Otherwise, listen, when you do an on-site pen test, if you walk in the front door and you're talking to security... And you're like, hey, I'm here to do an on-site pen test. Uh, can I see your director of cybersecurity? And they come up there and they walk you around the building and be like, hi, this is Neil. He's here to do an on-site pen test. Hi, this, this is Neil. He's here to test our on-site security. Um, you know, and then I sit down there and I'm like, cool, I'm going to take this device. I'm going to plug it into the back of your computer. And you know, it's going to give me a shell out to the, to the whole world. You've... You, it, Anybody who's ever had to debrief a non-technical person is going to go, well, that would never happen. So this test is completely invalid. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And and I think that that's what people forget is like tech is fantastic, but the non-technical person is going to be like, you would never get access to my facility to be able to use that tech. And so this test is completely and totally invalid. And so by social engineering your way into that building and building it into building that into your statement of work, um, you show to them that not only can you social engineer your way into the building to use said tech. This is exactly why a holistic security prin- you know, principle and, and methodology is incredibly important. So I would I, back to your original question. Social engineering is ridiculously important. Yeah, I mean, it's all about like, convincing people to do something that they shouldn't do. We should, um, we should, we should, there's a concept called the pyramid of pain. <clears throat> and it's, it's oftentimes referred to when it comes to cyber defense, but on, on the pen testing side, physical access is king, right? When I get access to your card, when I clone your badge card, when I clone your badges and I can get physical access to your building, I can do anything I want to do. Period. Dot. Right. Um, that is like, you're going to get domain admin. When you get physical access. I probably shouldn't say that. There's no definitive answer to whether you get domain admin, but your chances of getting domain admin or getting to your, 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 your crown jewels, getting to whatever your objective of that pen test, pen test is, is up exponentially when you get physical access to it, right? Um, and so all these tools are fun if you can get physical access, um, but if you can't get physical access, then all these tools are pretty much useless.
0: So I mean, the first tool that you showed us was like, how do you get past the door? What's do the next tool? The What's your next
1: tool? Absolutely. So let's let's put this off to the side here. So we're in the door. We're in the facility. Um, we have a lot more at our disposal once we get in. Obviously. Now, once you get in, let's go back to methodology, right? Because I want to. I also want to make sure that we're teaching people what what mind space that they need to be in when they get past the door, right? Yeah. So. Um, I showed you the picture of doing your reconnaissance. You know what the building looks like on the outside. It's very, very rare that you're going to be able to find pictures of what the building looks like on the inside. Maybe you'll find it on social media. Maybe you'll find it on LinkedIn. Maybe you'll find it on um, some of these community spaces. Maybe you will, maybe you want. It is It is totally a mixed bag as to whether you, you'll you find what the inside of the building looks like. And so you have to instinctively know in your head... Um, you know, types of things that you're looking for when you get in there. So put yourself in the mindset. Again, remember, pen testing is about thinking like a hacker, right? Thinking like a criminal. Um, You walk in that door, you need to have it in your head that you're going to get caught. And so the first thing that you need to do is you need to find a place where you can set up shop that is going to reduce your likelihood of getting caught. And I'll tell a story from. I'll go back to that pen test that I did in Boston. Um, I it was a it was a military facility. This is while I was a civilian doing a, um, a a pen test for a military facility. They did you know you know they did missile type of research at this facility. It was a it was a research facility. Um, they had man traps um, that I could see when I was doing my reconnaissance. When I was doing my on site reconnaissance, they had man traps um, with the the little. Spindles, I forget what they're called, right? The little twisty things like you got at amusement parks, right? That's an official technical term, a twisty thing. <laughs> um, I didn't know what was past that, right? But I knew that I needed to go somewhere. I knew that it was a it was an eight-story building, so I knew there were elevators somewhere. And I knew that if I if I triggered an alarm at the beginning of the entrance, I needed to get to an elevator or to some stairs, and I needed to put some distance between me and the front desk. And so when I got to the other side of that turnstile, that's what it was, turnstile. When I got to the other side of that turnstile, my immediate thought was, where are the elevators? And, I, and, and it, lo- it worked out for me because um, in this particular pen test, um, I noticed that there was a pressure plate on the turnstiles. And what they were recording was, as you swiped your badge, you stepped on the pressure plate. And that's how they knew that one badge equals one person turned the turnstile. Well, me, my method for getting into that building was I was going to fake swipe a badge, push the turnstile forward and step over the pressure plate. Well, I did that. It actually triggered an alarm, but there were enough people going through the turnstiles that I was able to rush to the elevator bank. And it was one of those, if you've ever been in a big building where the elevator is constantly open and closed, you don't have to push a button and wait for it. I was immediately able to walk into an elevator as the door was closing, get into the elevator and ride my way up to the eighth floor. But it's about having that mentality that says, all right, where do I go next once I'm inside? You got to be thinking about that move two or three steps ahead. So I got in the elevator. I headed upstairs and this is where we talk about what do we do next. Now we have a lot at our disposal about what we can do next. First thing that you that, that I typically want to do is I want to look for a network port that I can plug into, right? I want to I want to I want to go straight for the jugular, right? Physical access first. Um and so I'm looking for a network port that I can walk into. And so um it may seem it may seem crazy, but I've mentioned this before when you <laughs> this is going to floor your 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 viewership so much make sure you've got a network adapter for your laptop. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this needs to be in your bag. <laughs> make sure that you have a network adapter for your laptop, because I have indeed been on a pen test where I have gotten in and realized that I have no way to connect to the network. <laughs> so surprise. There he so, so, so There's that one. So, um, the jokes aside, jokes aside, um, you know, physical, you know, getting access to the network is is key, and, and we want to use our laptops. We want to get access to that. But let's also say that we want to build in some redundancy, right? And this is where I think about some of the next tools that I've got in my disposal is where we build in some redundant connections. There is no greater joy in a pen test than to be able to go in, plant your hardware, leave the facility, and go conduct the pen test from your hotel room, yeah. right? that way you don't even have to interact with people. You don't have to interact with the customer, right? You just go do the pen test and you go back to your hotel room and you get there. Um, back to our Hack 5 thing, I think Hack 5 has created something ingenious with the land turtle. I utterly love this thing, right? Because, um, you, know, you know, and, and, and likewise, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about the rubber ducky. I, I feel like it's been oversaturated over you know, from a content perspective. Um, but, but I'll give it its nod. But this is also why I love the land turtle. Again, this doesn't come through as a removable storage. And so most computers, DLP systems, data loss prevention systems that prevent you from plugging in a USB thumb drive, recognize this as, a, as an HID or human interface device. And what this does is this actually installs itself as um, an HID, typically a keyboard or a mouse or something like this, that you plug into the back of the computer and then you plug an ethernet port or uh, the ethernet cable that was naturally into that desktop into the back of this thing. Now, what you can do with this, this is actually completely capable, um, just like the rubber ducky is, of having a a meterpreter reverse shell programmed into it. And so when you plug it in, And it gets power and you've got an Ethernet cable plugged into it, it will automatically call out to the C2 infrastructure, the command and control infrastructure that you have set up in your pre-planning for the engagement. um, So that immediately you get access to a computer, you plug this in, you plug an Ethernet cable in, and you should have a C2 shell hanging out waiting for you uh, on your infrastructure, ready for you to do your internal pen test in, in the form of a meterpreter shell.
0: So would you rather plug directly into a network switch like using a shark jack, or would you rather use the land turtle and plug it in the back of a computer?
1: The back of the computer is going to be easier for you to find, right? If you think yeah. about most buildings, a switch is usually in a comm closet and um, you know, most comm closets are locked. You know, we've gotten really, really good about teaching you know, building security that most comm closets are generally locked. I'm not going to say all of them, but most of them are generally locked it's real easy for you to bump into a um, conference room where you've got a computer that's running the conference room business, right? Whether it's projecting stuff, whether it's, you know, um, you know, there for presentations, whether it's there for, you know, somebody to work in, whatever the case is. So you can bump into a conference room and have access to a computer right there. And so this is really easy for you to have access to a computer. Um, Back pre COVID, um, It's probably still the same same in a post-COVID world now, but but definitely pre-COVID, right? Um, Where there were a lot of desktops in most corporate environments, nobody's going to see this in the back of a computer, right? And so you can pop into a cubicle, pop into an office real quick, get down on all four, get down on your hands and knees, get underneath the desk, do some quick shimmying on the back of a computer, and nobody will ever see this at all. Versus like on the side of a laptop, this is pretty obvious on the side of a laptop. Yeah. Um, and, and so this is this has got a much, much higher success rate when you're talking physical access to a location, Um. you know, because it's easier to get access to a desktop.
0: What about wi- Wi-Fi or wireless? Did you did you um, did you use land total or would you do like a Wi-Fi connection using a pineapple or something like that? So, so wireless is interesting, right? Um. And Neil, I don't want to take you off your your path. If you've got oh, no. another tool to show, then inside. No, no,
1: no, no. This is this is this is why we make such a good team, David, is you you pull on threads and I love threads. Um so so wireless, I have a lot of things in my bag. Let me kind of walk through what I keep in my bag for wireless and then I'll walk you through some use cases, okay? And hope yeah, if you go to like a real world example, you can show us. Yeah, I've got tons of real world examples. I got right. some. I got. I got one you're gonna love. I got one you're gonna love. get right. right. So let's start with the smallest, right? Because because form factor is everything, right? Um, super easy, super easy wireless card. It's a it's a TP Link, um, whiskey November seven two two November, right? Yeah. Super easy. This plugs into your laptop. Um, super easy wireless card for you to plug into your laptop, right? So if you think about, um, you, know, uh, you know, also something else that you could plug into a, a desktop computer to give it instantaneous wireless access This is something that you can plug into a desktop computer that you've got on site, instantly turn a wired computer into a wireless computer pretty easily. Um, something you can use in your laptop um, if you need to connect to wireless pretty easily. So I always recommend in my bag, always keep one of these tiny little TP links, super, super resourceful. Now, from there, um, you can do you can kind of kind of expand upon it a little bit and get kind of crazy with what you do with um, with wireless. Um, one of the one of the one of the other things that I always keep in my bag is an Ubertooth, Right. Not really easy to see, but this is uh, basically USB plugs into a USB. You can see I don't have any fancy um, cover for this Ubertooth but the ubertooth is used for intercepting bluetooth transmissions um and so if you think about uh some uh, iot devices that you've got in some manufacturing sites i've done a lot of iot hacking um uh through my career so bluetooth is huge for that um uh you know early early days of cell phones um I, i say that jokingly um obviously but bluetooth was a fun thing to do um intercepting um bluetooth keyboards uh, some of the older Bluetooth keyboards, you could intercept as well and sniff keystrokes with the UberTooth. Um, so definitely on the wireless spectrum, uh, I do keep an UberTooth in the bag. Um, I also keep one of these. Now, this is, this is a little bit on the overkill side, right? It's a Hack RF1 from Grey Scott Gadgets. Um, these things are awesome, but this is definitively like taking a bazooka to a knife fight. Right, type of thing. <laughs> this thing is, is very overkill. I will keep one of these in my bag. Um, just this is this is one of the few just in case items. And and the only reason I keep this one in my bag is a just in case item is because it is tiny enough when you take this antenna off. You take this antenna off. When you look at that, it's pretty easy to fit that into a bag. So it doesn't take up a whole lot of real estate. So this will be one that I take, um, that I kind of take with me as well. And plus, um, you know, you can use like some extended uh, antennas. So, like, I'll I'll use like a like an extended antenna like this um, to try to increase my range of something like this. So, I've I've used this uh, to listen in on um, uh, radio communications with security guards. Right? When you think about some of those cheap Motorola um, uh, two-way radios that they use, you can use like the HackRF One to listen into those security transmissions so that you know whether whether they're, they're looking for you or not. And then of course we've got everybody's favorite, right. Which is the hack five pineapple right now. This is uh, one of their latest models. So it's much bigger than, uh, you know, some of their earlier versions. Um, but I definitely take one of these with me in the bag. And then on the smaller scale, right. If, if, um, if the hack RF one is the big version, there's a tiny version of the SDR, so both of these are fall into the category of software defined radio. HackRF one being kind of like the bazooka. This being more like the uh, the, the scalpel, right? Um, this one does receive only, whereas this one allows you to transmit. Which don't do this at home because it is against the U.S. Uh, Federal Communications Commission guidelines to transmit using a HackRF one. Um, but with this one, you can do receive only. So those are. Those is it Bluetooth, are, or was it like all kinds of frequencies? It's all kinds of frequencies. So that's what I'm saying. Like, like when you look at something like this, this will get you across the spectrum. Right. But it's, it's, it's very hard. Like, from a practical execution standpoint, this is very hard to take on a pen test. Right. Um, it is, there's no power in this model. So you have to hook it up to your Wi Fi. Right. Um, antennas are incredibly important. To you, right, and so you have to carry lots of various types of antennas with you, um, and then, like I said, it's it's very very overkill for what it is you're trying to do. When we talk about needing power to run this, this is where we uh, we can get kind of free. So this same same device, exact same device, but um, uh, these guys called sh- uh, ShareBrain Technology, ShareBrain Technology, have created basically an LCD screen. Uh, and, um, that kind of goes over top of this and you can plug in a battery pack down here on the back and it'll allow you to do the whole thing basically manually by hand with this keypad that's down here on the bottom. So it makes it a little bit more usable when it comes to, um, to site pen test, but that's why I very much equate this to like the bazooka, um, versus being very, very targeted with things like like this, things like this. And then last but not least, call me a dinosaur. I don't really care, but I will still never go anywhere without a tried and true alpha in my bag. At the end of the day, the alpha yeah, that, is that, still... that, that
0: one's discontinued, but I mean, they're, 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 they're the same kind of models that are, can do something similar. Alphas are great.
1: Alphas are great, yeah. I mean, yeah, This they, again, call me a dinosaur, but alphas are fantastic, and I still don't go anywhere without an alpha.
0: Okay, so that's tools now, and we yeah. the, the the problem I see a lot in the hacking community, Neil, is people say get all these tools, and then like the next question is okay, what do I do with them? So can you give us a practical example? I think you said you were going to of like Absolutely. where you where you use some of this
1: stuff. Absolutely, and in and in this example, we're going to primarily be talking about the Wi-Fi pineapple. Um, the Wi-Fi pineapple is interesting, right? And let's 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 call a spade a spade when it comes to wireless hacking, right? Wireless hacking isn't what it used to be, right? Right. There, there aren't nine million companies out there running around with with WEP anymore, right? Yeah. Um. It's it's you know wireless hacking was the thing um, that everybody wanted to do back when it was easy, but it's not easy now, right? Um. Organizations have gotten better. Technology's gotten better. Um, heck, even your home routers have gotten better when it comes to, to, you know, randomizing, you know, long string passwords for your your PSK uh, on your home router, right? And but so, I will still, I will still say users use dumb passwords. Users yeah. do use dumb passwords, but um, I agree with you; it's much harder. Yeah. It's much much harder now. And so like the this old tried true methodology where you're like oh I'm just going to come in with an alpha I'll set up Wi-Fi or something like that and and or or, or um um aircrack ng or anything like that and I'm just going to sniff especially corporate wireless passwords yeah corporate yeah <laughs> good luck good you're yeah. wasting your time like here's here's what this was and this was when I when I made this switch this was 2016 when I made this switch I actually stopped charging clients separately for wireless pen test. I stopped charging clients separately for because it's, it's, you realize that a wireless pen test, and, and this is, this is why, this is, this is probably more of a conversation we'd have on my stream, David, uh, when we talk about real conversations with real people. Right. But I've seen people charge 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 for a wireless pen test where they literally spend 15 to 20 minutes unpacking all of their gear only to find out that it's completely hardened up from a wireless perspective right wow. and corporations would would pay that because we've set a standard in the pen testing industry that a wireless pen test is its own separate pen test it requires so much work and that's just we've we have bamboozled companies with that wow. and so so, 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 going, sorry. so sorry small tangent small tangent <laughs> no, I think
0: it's <laughs> Neil, what I love about talking to you is you you making it real because you know, we gotta we gotta make it real because if someone wants to do this, they want the best knowledge and the best equipment. So I, I appreciate you, you know, yeah. saying exactly how you feel. Yeah. There's very few people that can say they've done five thousand plus pen tests. So, you know, let's help the next generation take all your experience and knowledge and, you know, from day one, know yeah. what to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so getting back to getting back to what you said earlier about how important is social engineering, right? I started reframing all of my wireless pen tests just to be an extension of social engineering, right? And so, when you think about wireless in organizations, let's pick on a hospital just because I think hospitals are um, easy targets, especially on the wireless side, right? Um, You can you can use a pineapple for social engineering through karma attacks. Um, if we can do a whole section on karma attacks, but basically it's it's this rogue access point. Um, your your cell phones, your laptops, right? Every time you connect to one of those free Wi-Fi things at the airport, it stores that SSID and it will constantly beacon out and look for that SSID at infinitum. If you never remove that SSID from your phone or from your, your laptop, it'll look for that SSID at infinitum. And so you can use something like a, a Wi-Fi Pineapple doing a Karma attack. Um, and what will happen is it'll literally sit inside of an organization um, and it will basically be listening for all of those devices that are like, hey, I'm looking for at and Wireless. Are you at and Wireless? And it will respond and be like, yes, I am at and Wireless. And then you can set up a captive portal uh, on the Wi-Fi Pineapple um, to make it look like, and again, if we were to pick on a hospital, make it look like the hospitals. Hey, if you want to access our free Wi-Fi, um, you need to log into this captive portal with your Google email address or your Hotmail email address or your Outlook email address, whatever the case is, um, and, um, and and we will get you access to that. And so that's where you know I'll usually take like a hotspot like this, right? So it's like a mobile hotspot. It connects to Wi-Fi or it connects to cellular and provides you with a Wi-Fi signal. I'll double-sided sticky tape that to like the top of my Wi-Fi pineapple like that. And I'll stick this inside of an organization with a karma attack and I'll harvest usernames and passwords all day long. Now, listen, that's when you think about that, you have to ask yourself, is that a wireless attack or is that a social engineering attack? Because it matters when you go to write up your report. It is a wireless attack because if you've got like a Meraki or something like that that should be detecting rogue access points, This is effectively acting like a rogue access point in your organization, and you should have some type of uh, identification and detection mechanism in your wireless, corporate wireless environment to detect rogue access points to um, uh, to use these types of attacks. And so it's still a wireless attack, but you're using social engineering to facilitate the attack. And so that's how you have to start changing that methodology in your head, is you're still attacking the wireless, it's still on the corporate side, a wireless mitigation technique, but you're using social engineering to target the wireless systems and break into the wireless systems. Now, I've got another one, another example for you as well, David. This one, I've actually got visual, visual yummies to kind of show you as well. Good. I like that. Um, so, so this one actually did happen in a hospital. Um, that's why I use this one as an example. You can obviously tell this is an older model um, of a Wi-Fi pineapple that I had. But I had found, um, I had done my pretext, I had done my recon on the hospital, I'd walked into the hospital, and I'd found that they had an entire wing of this hospital that was under construction. I had found an abandoned office, and this is me taking a picture showing that I had found the abandoned office. This was my my backpack in here. You can see that in here, they had wireless jacks. Um, so obviously, one of the first things that I talk about, right, when I talk about getting access to a location, is to check those physical jacks to see if those physical jacks have port security enabled on them. Ninety-nine point nine percent of the companies don't have port security enabled on the switches because it's an administrative nightmare, uh, you know, to enable port security and have to disable it every time somebody wants to move a computer around. So I found a jack like this inside of this office, and I set up my Wi-Fi pineapple um, uh, inside of uh, inside of that office. Um, and set it next to a window. And I just set it up in there basically as a Wi-Fi repeater. And what I then did in this little red circle up here, this is the parking garage. This is the parking garage. And so I drove my rental car up there to the top of that parking garage, David. And I connected to my Wi-Fi access point. I was using the the pineapple as a Wi-Fi access point. And you can kind of see that this that I've got highlighted down here was my access point that I had set up in here, I was able to connect to it and have access to the corporate network using a Wi-Fi pineapple right from the parking garage.
0: But uh, you, the thing that strikes me always with with what you're saying, Neil, is it's always social engineering. You had to yeah. get your way into that building somehow. yeah, And then you were able to plant something in the building that gave you remote access, whether it's a a remote shell from a land turtle, whether it's a Wi-Fi pine- pineapple that you piggybacking off or whether you doing something, it's always you get into the building somehow. That is correct. And That's you correct. make sure people don't try and put you in jail.
1: <laughs> we can, I, can I, got, I got stories for that too. I got stories for that too. But it is, listen, on the pyramid of pain, at the very tippy top, physical access is king. If you gain physical access to your target, If you gain, this is why. um, This is why when we talk about uh, uh, hotel maid attacks, right on diplomat computers, um, you know, uh, you know, who are overseas, right, right. Once you have that physical laptop in hand, then you can do some of those, uh, uh, you know, cold boot attacks and things like that on computers to try to defeat, um, you know, you know, physical disk encryption and password lockouts and things like that, because physical access is king. Physical pen test, right? The hardest part of any the hardest part of any on-site pen test where you know you have to social engineer your way in is the social engineering of your way in. There are so many tools that you have at your disposal once you get inside the door, and they're all a hundred percent effective in in most cases that I've seen. But social engineering your way in is still the key. And listen, listen. Let's be real. When you read the Verizon data breach report, when you read Stuxnet, right, when you read about how Stuxnet got into the the nuclear power, yeah, yeah, the Iranian uh, reactors, right? When you read how that stuff happens, it all sources from social engineering. It happens. And so it is it is the vector it's why ransomware is so successful today is because they can get somebody to click on an email they listen you know they arrested somebody they arrested somebody who was working at the tesla factory in nevada because they found some hackers who were trying to bribe somebody into taking a usb into the tesla factory to install ransomware on tesla
0: yeah yeah
1: it's not sophisticated like, I love the fact that we use that I'm an XNSA hacker on all of our promotions. But when you look at anything that I look, I can tell you definitively, I can tell you definitively, a lot of the hacks that we used were either because we had human from the CIA give us passwords, we intercepted passwords, we cracked weak passwords, or we had human from the CIA install a thumb drive for us. Like we had, when I was there... When I was there, we had 12 zero days and they were like in in 19 levels of locked vaults vaults and, and special access programs and things like that, that think think the the worst of the worst. That was when you pulled out a zero day at your disposal. But that is the same thing that cyber criminals use on us on a day to day basis, It's the same thing that state sponsored actors use us on a day to day basis. I think we've seen more zero days used in the last 24 months. And I would probably attribute that to uh, COVID because there hasn't been as much opportunity for humans, you know, as 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 much as there would be. But we've seen more zero days used in the last 24 months than I think I ever saw my entire time working in the military.
0: Uh, Neil, I just want to get the term human, human interaction, yeah?
1: Human intelligence. Human for intelligence. Human intelligence. Yeah, human intelligence. Um, if, if I... Uh, a real world example, not from the military. Um, I did a pen test, uh, for a collections company, um, in the U S for, for those who need some history, right in the U S we have these, these companies that literally make money. Um, if you're American express or visa or Mastercard or somewhere like that, and you're behind on paying your credit card bill, we'll turn over that to a collections agency. And then that collections agency will call you and pester you until the day that you die to get that money from you. Um, I did a pen test on one of those organizations one time, um, and we wanted to test how susceptible the employees were uh, to bribery, social engineering, human intelligence. And so I did that. I gave, I gave, went out to the smoke pit. See the trend is here it, when it comes to smoke. Yeah, pits. I was going to say there's a recurring
0: theme here. <laughs> yeah. Don't smoke.
1: Yeah, don't go, go out to the smoke pit. Right, and I literally I took a I took a hundred dollars of petty cash out from the company. We knew we were going to do this, right? I took a hundred dollars out, and I literally put a hundred dollars in one hand and a USB in another hand, and I went out to the smoke pit and I found one person who was out there by themselves, not in a crowd of people, so there was no social stigma or anything like that. And I said, "How'd you like a hundred dollars?" And Of course, they looked at me funny. They were like, "Well, boy, what's in it for me?" And I said, "If you take this thumb drive in, plug it into your computer." I'll give you $100. I gave them the $100, gave them the thumb drive. They went in, they plugged in the thumb drive, gave me access to their network for $100. In their own computer? In their own computer. Mad. Right? For 100 bucks. For 100 bucks, wow. It will happen. It will happen. And you see it now. Ransomware operators today are offering people percentage of share of the ransomware that they get from a company to install their ransomware. Social engineering is key. It happens. It is the way that people are getting into networks. And so, yes, back to your original point. I'll, I'll show you. I'll show you another one. I took the. I did this exact same approach. This was a little bit more brazen. Um, uh, I uh, I took my laptop um into uh in into the hospital that that I was testing at the time. And I sat down at a computer that I saw was empty and pretended to be help desk working on the computer. Um, at one point in time, I, I, used, a, I used a tool to m- disrupt network traffic on that local switch that I was at, which I knew was going to disrupt the traffic of the people around me. Um, and at one point in time, I came out and said, hey, um, excuse me, um, are you having trouble... Gaining access to the network for any reason, and and this individual was like, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, I am. I said, huh, yeah. I, I start to, I'm seeing some um some weird behavior coming from your computer. I need to check some stuff on the server. Can I get you to write down your password for me so that I can verify it with the central server, and I'll let you know if there's something I can do to fix it. And I kid you not, this individual, as you can see in this screenshot, literally took a post it note, wrote their ID down. And wrote their password down on a post-it note and handed it to me. (laughs) I was already in the building. I had a laptop. I sat down at a computer and I started working. The levels of trust that I had just by physically being there meant that I was authorized to ask her, him or her for that information. Well, Furthermore... We can continue to go on through this report. This was another case. You can see on the back side of this wall there was a conference room, and you can kind of see on the right hand side here. I had physical access to this. You can see here I had my alpha out at the time. I uh, was uh, uh, was was doing some uh, some wireless testing in this particular location, um, and I proceeded to uh, social engineer my way into this office. And then I noticed that this conference room wasn't being used. And so I took my trusty pineapple, put my trusty pineapple up into the window, plugged it into the land jack, went right back out there to the parking lot, and proceeded to hack the entire organization from the parking lot with my trusty pineapple. And at every single one of these engagements, every single one of these engagements, employees were encouraged, encouraged that if they saw anything suspicious, they should report it to the IT help desk. And at no point in time, when you look at the picture of that pineapple and you see how big and brazen it was with a big huge sticker on it, (laughs) at no point in time did employees report it to the help desk. It gets better, David. I mean, look, if you wouldn't get me on a soapbox. I love your soapboxes. Go for it. I sat. This was Neil years ago, many, many pounds heavier. This is Neil (laughs) sitting in the cafe of a hospital and I I wish that I'd gotten the person to take the picture, but obviously it was hard to convince somebody to take the picture of all of my suspicious activities, but I did want to have, um, uh, somebody take my picture in the cafe. And so I asked a random stranger to take my picture in the cafe so that I could show my mom of me sitting in the cafe. But over here on the right-hand side, you can kind of see, I've got all my hacking gear, All my my Wi-Fi hacking stuff plugged into the side of my laptop. Um, There is a Wi-Fi pineapple that is plugged into an Ethernet jack over here behind the port. There is a security guard directly behind me, and I'm sitting here with Hacker on my laptop. (laughs) And nobody... you're You're hacking for charity, so you're okay. But I'm okay, right? Nobody... At no point in time, not this security guard behind me or any other patron of this cafe is watching me in this hospital. And you can see from these pictures, this is a pretty busy hospital, says anything to me, not even ask me what I'm doing. People naturally assume that once you're inside the building, you are trusted. This is where we get into that security concept where once you're on the inside, you're trusted. That's why all these tools are fantastic. All these tools are great, right? We could talk about all these tools all day long. They're all awesome, right? And they all do great things. That's because they're all trusted once you're on the inside, once you're physically on the inside. And this is why like going, circling this all the way back around, David, as to why we don't carry a rucksack with 50 pounds of gear on an on-site pen test is because the organization trusts this device. And so why do I need 50 pounds of gear when I can do most of my work with just a handful of devices? Yeah. Are there any other
0: devices that you've got that you think are really good? Or have you covered what you, what you would take with you?
1: I, I've covered, I've covered uh, the devices that I think are key. Obviously, you should care, carry spares of things like, again, this is another Hack5 device. It's a little mini switch right, right here that allows you to, um, to have access to that. You know, again, I always carry. I always encourage folks to take extras, right? Of cables and antennas. Um, I carry. You know, you can see I've got an unopened rubber ducky here, right? Because I always carry an extra just in case. You know, one breaks on you, right? There are there are things like that that I always encourage folks to carry. But in terms of core critical, you know, equipment, something for wireless. In my case, it's a uh, it's a hack five pineapple. Uh, take uh, something like a hotspot that you can use for, you know, uh, you know, getting access to the outside world. M- pretty much everything that is hack five related. So land turtle, rubber ducky. Um, um, we, we also have the, um, we also have the, uh, 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 the bash bunny here. Yeah. The bash bunny. Um, we've got the, the packet squirrel here on here as well. Listen, the packet squirrel, like, you know, when we talk about the value of packets, right? And, and I'll pick on hospitals again. Hospitals are very, very notorious for this, right? Packet score is incredibly helpful. So hospitals um, typically have a centralized um, um, EMR, uh, uh, electronic medical records. I couldn't think of the EMR, electronic medical records uh, system. Uh, the most common one that's here in the US is called EPIC. An MRI machine that takes your MRI data has to send it to the EMR system. In this case, Epic, believe it or not, that transmission is 100% unencrypted. They send your PII unencrypted across the wire because they, there's no standardization between somebody's MRI machine and the Epic system. And so that protocol is vastly unencrypted when it sends those medical records. And so I've definitively used, um, Tools like the Bash Bunny, um, I've used um, uh, just packet intercepts on like a, 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 a meterpreter shell to basically intercept raw packets and pull PII directly off the wire in a hospital through the Bash Bunny. So Bash Bunny is huge for things like that. Um, UberTooth for Bluetooth. Um uh, where's my Proxmark? I set my Proxmark down. I can't find my Proxmark now. There it is. Proxmark, right? Those would be the tools that I think are critically important that you have in your bag. And they will, they're, they're your Swiss Army knives. They will help you through 95% of the scenarios that you will ever encounter in most modern pen tests.
0: Okay, Neil, so I want to, I come from a networking background, so I'm gonna push you on the networking side, Go for it. A a lot of people, when I create videos, say the networking stuff is not important. They wanna do like weird other stuff. But every example you've given me is like a networking example. You're trying to connect to a network and then get remote access to the network. So it sounds to me that networking is extremely important.
1: Is that right? Networking is incredibly important. And listen, so, so for, for, I know we talk about my cyber side pretty extensively, but when I joined the Air Force in 2003, um, one of the first certs that I got in the Air Force was CCNA back in 2003. Yep. Um, and, and so when I came out of CCNA, um, I was like, networks are awesome and they are impenetrable and everybody designs networks exactly like they're supposed to the way they teach you in CCNA. Exactly. Everybody, everywhere, every network.
0: Of, of course. No one no <laughs> one uses dynamic trunking protocol or anything like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, VLANs, VLANs. Listen, here's, hold on real quick. This is going to hurt some of your networking students right here. Hold on. VLANs are the coolest thing in the world. VLANs are the coolest thing in the world. You know what most network administrators in most corporate environments use networking for? To extend their switch. (laughs) (laughs) They use VLANs. They use VLANs that way they don't have to buy 50 more switches. (laughs) Yep. They They don't do proper VLAN routing. They don't add ACLs. In between their VLANs, they don't do any type of VLAN isolation. It's like port security, right? I could tell you that of every pen test I've ever done, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think if I can get this number close to accurate. I could probably count to you on two hands how many companies I've actually ever done an on-site physical pen test for. That have implemented some level of port security that has stopped me. And when I say port security, I'm talking like switch port, you know, disable enable port security. I'm not talking about NAC, yep. right? NAC is not port security. NAC is because your network administrators are too lazy to do port security. I'll totally make some mad, make some people mad about that. I'm very cynical on NAC, <laughs> right? Um, and and so yeah, I could probably count on ten on two hands. How many companies I've actually ever seen do true port level port security out there because it's too complicated, because it's an administrative nightmare, just like VLANing, just like doing inter VLAN routing, and just like doing ACLs on VLANs. And so, even something like, like listen, I've seen people not Kane enable. Listen, Kane enable to date is still the only tool that does true remote desktop protocol, man in the middle. How are you going to bash something that you can sit on a switch with network administrators and truly intercept their RDP traffic because you know that they don't have an internal CA. You know that they're going to accept that self-signed certificate and you're going to be able to intercept those RDP credentials right there off the bat with a tool that runs in Windows that's well over 15 years old. I mean, Neil, I love talking to you because
0: after 5,000 pen tests, you still make the point that what people should do and what they actually do are vastly different. Vastly,
1: vastly. And listen, as long as that happens, dude, go, go learn zero days all day. I I, I've taken multiple exploit development classes. I've, I've written one true zero day in the civilian side in my entire career, right? I have never, ever actually done zero days for pen tests other than the one, one time that I did it. Um, and and I've, I've, I've written exploit, I've done exploit development, I've written exploits before, and it's all cool. It truly is a sh- crap ton of fun. Leap that one out, right? <laughs> it, it really is fun to do that stuff. But so long as there are people on a network and they are doing stupid stuff by taking a, taking your bash bunny or taking your rubber ducky and plugging it into a network for a hundred bucks from the smoke pit, your time is better spent focusing on where the weaknesses are. Yeah, I love it.
0: Neil, I really want to thank you for sharing, you know, not just techie stuff, but like real world stuff and your and your wisdom, because after so many pen tests and so much experience, you know, people I think get, um, get enamored by the shiny objects. They, the shiny objects grab the attention and they forget that's not where
1: it's at. When, when my, my biggest advice to people, and this is, why, this is why I've started to take the stance that I've taken when it comes to, to pen testing and red team operations, right? What you're learning out there in the world right now From Udemy, from YouTube, whatever the case is. It's all it's all great and it is all fun. And it's all very foundational knowledge. Be careful that you're not confusing knowledge with wisdom. Right? You're getting tons of knowledge by what you're learning out there. David and I are gonna bring you wisdom about how this stuff gets used, what reality is, and what's really happening out there in the real world. Because you're not writing zero days for pen test on a regular basis. And I know that that's what most of you think that it is that you're going to be doing as a pen tester. I know most of you think that you're just going to be churning away at popping shells on 500 million boxes. Um, I'll, small high horse on this, right? If any, if, you, if any of you want to know what, what what real pen testing looks like, go sign up for any of the bug bounty programs. Start smashing your head against some web app pen tests, not being able to, to, you know, most of you will go, you'll learn that, you know, SQL injection, one equals one or cross-site scripting alert boxes, and then go out there and do like a pen test of one of these bug bounty platforms and realize that none of that stuff works, right? That's because that stuff works great when your test environment is damn vulnerable web app or you know something like that and it's designed to teach you how easy one equals one is from a sql injection perspective but finding a company where you can do one equals one and get into their their credit card database so small it's
0: just not reality yeah so what would you recommend people spend their time doing neil so like if you take all your knowledge and all your wisdom and experience um, should they invest in buying the Hack5 tools? What would you, you know, if someone wanted to do pen testing as a career, we, what would you recommend they start? Is it like watch our previous video, do hack the box, stuff like that? You know, what's your starting point?
1: So, so I think mentality is everything, right? And, and I've said this before, right? I think, you, I think, you know, you and I, David, are, are huge fans of being honest with, with, with yourself when you go into this, this process, yep. when you go into this mission, right? And so I'm not trying to discourage you from going to Udemy, or I'm not trying to discourage you from going to YouTube. I'm not trying to discourage you from, you know, one course or another or anything else like that, right? That's not the goal. The goal is to be honest with yourself, right? And realize that on the pyramid of of things that you need to learn, you're definitely down here on the foundational knowledge, right? You're getting a ton of knowledge. And I want you to get a ton of knowledge. I think there's a lot of valuable knowledge we've covered in numerous videos, David, where I think you can get some of the best knowledge that is that is out there, right? And so I'd encourage everybody to look at your videos, come to my streams, you know, there's lots of great knowledge that's out there. There are things that and and you know again, let's call a spade a spade, right? You know, when you're done with knowledge and you're looking for wisdom, when you're looking for practical, you know, you know, experiences, there's no substitute for tenure, right? David, you've been, you've been in this business for 30 years? Way too long. Way too Way long, too long. <laughs> right? I've been in this business for, for, for over 20 years, right? right? There are some people out there who are teaching on Udemy, and this isn't a bash against Udemy, and I think some of those instructors are fantastic from a knowledge perspective, but they're, they're barely in the pen testing space. They've been doing it for a year. They've been doing it for two years. They've been doing it for three years, right? Now, they may have some good experience after one year or two years or three years, but take that into consideration when you're receiving knowledge from them and understand that what knowledge you may be getting may not necessarily be indicative of the real world stuff. And that's what I would encourage you to look at is, is weigh the knowledge against their bona fides and say, okay, how does this actually work in the real world?
0: So Neil the biggest problem is there's not a lot of that out there so I'm going to expect you to create some courses or something. <laughs> don't so we uh, don't can, you know you well, know
1: you, you give 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 you can give your give your audience a teaser uh you know but I think there's some cool things that that you and I are going to do that's coming. That's right. I mean it's um the problem
0: is the problem is there're not that many Neil bridges around. Um and there's not that many people that are willing to share what they know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Neil, no pressure, but you better you better get cracking because I, we
1: need you to share that wisdom every week. David, you and I every week let's let's share every some week. wisdom. Let's share some wisdom.
0: Great, Neil. We better wrap it up. Thanks so much. <laughs>
1: Not a problem.